So every year right around this time, we have a special day. We call it Justice Day. We do it right around Martin Luther King weekend, depending on the weekend. And we do it so that we can celebrate something that God has called all disciples of Jesus to, and that is justice. Micah 6, 8 asks the question, what does the Lord require of you but to seek justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? And so every year, we always pick an issue, a topic, a place. Uh, This year just happens to be all the way around the other side of the world. And the Bible tells us as disciples of Jesus that we're to start in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so it's not do we serve locally and then we avoid international, or do we serve internationally? Do we focus regionally or nationally? We're to do all of that. And today we have very special guests we're super excited to have here. This is honestly the kind of thing you will remember, hopefully, on 20, 30, 40 years from now. It is a real privilege and honor for us to have them here today. Let's give a huge CCV welcome to Wallace and Mary Kamau. I'll just give you a high five. Welcome. We are so happy to have you guys here. Um, in order to, have a, to give you a big CCV welcome, uh, we thought, what would be the, 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 how could we honor you the most as missionaries that are serving God in, 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 in amazing ways around the world? And we thought, we know what we'll do. We'll take you hatchet throwing last night. So that's what we did. <laughs> you seen this hatchet throwing place at King of Prussia? We took him out. I just want to say, Mary crushed Dan Reichel. Give it up for Mary. Yes. Well, Wallace and Mary, we are super excited to have you here. Um, our relationship started back in, oh gosh, 2009. Uh, we went over in 2009. Mutual friends of ours just kept bugging me. They're like, listen, you have to get involved. You have to meet this couple. What they're doing is extraordinary. And I was like, yeah, 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 I've heard that. And so we got on a plane, went to Nairobi, and I was blown away. Wallace, what I remember um, with you is that in all three times I've been there, you've, you've allowed me to go and spend some time with your pastors. And pastors are a talkative bunch. When we get together, we're talking to talking to talking. And all of a sudden, up in the corner of the room, Wallace stood up. I remember the last time I was there, you stood up and the place went silent. And I know that wasn't the case because you're like an authoritarian person or that sort of thing, but because how much you love them and you have sacrificed for them, you are held in such high regard. And Mary, every time we went to these schools, I mean, you're great. I kid you not, like, like paparazzi surrounding um, a, a superstar here in the United States. So it is a privilege to have you here. How long was your flight to get here? Yeah, that was uh, about 25 hours. About 25 hours. Yes. Yeah, uh, that's not that bad. <laughs> not that bad at all. Anyway, um, so um, tell us what Missions of Hope is. What is Missions of Hope? And tell us everything that's going on Missions of Hope real fast in 30 seconds. What do you do? Give us the big picture right now of Missions of Hope. Well, Missions of Hope is an organiz- a Christian organization that has four missions. We educate the next generation. We empower 
socially and economically and emotionally, the families of the children working with, uh, with us. And then we also restore uh, through giving health programs, sustainable health uh, uh, facilities, so that we can be able to have these people uh, being able to be physically fit. And we also redeem through sharing the gospel of Jesus with these people and these communities where we serve. Okay, cool. So we're going to get into all of that and how we're going to be involved in that and all the particulars of that. But I want to start with your spiritual journey. You didn't grow up in a Christian household. How did you come to faith and what was it like in your family? That, that sort of a thing. I grew up in a family of 20 children. Uh, because it was a, my it was a dad, small family. Yeah, yeah, a small family of 20 <laughs> children. Family, 20 kids. Because my dad had two wives and I'm the seventh born of the 20. And so growing up, I thought I was one of the most disadvantaged people in the whole world because we didn't have much resources in our family. And it was a struggle. It, was, it wasn't easy growing up in a polygamous family. And I wanted to work hard in school, be able to make it to university, uh, get good education, get a good job, make good money, and not be poor. So you saw education as a way to get out of poverty. So yes. you were in desperate circumstances growing up. And then what happened? And then when uh, I made it to Kenyatta University, it was the second public university in Kenya, and uh, while I was there, I accepted Jesus as my personal savior. I joined a group that would go to different communities to evangelize and do missions, and during one of those times, I met somebody who told me about the slum communities of Nairobi, specifically Madare Valley, and when he described it to me, it sounded a place completely out of this world. And I felt a nudge within me to want to go and see this community. I had never heard about the slums. I had never been to a slum. And on a Saturday morning, this gentleman took me out there, and that became the turning point of my life. So the Mathari Valley is a, it's a, it's like the suburbs of Nairobi, but it's not like the suburbs here in the United States. Yeah. 800,000 people jam-packed in a very, very tiny area. It's what we would consider um, if you were in uh, downtown Phoenixville, for instance. If you go from um, at 29 in Phoenixville and then you go out to, oh gosh, what would that would be, like French Creek Outfitters? That's the length of the Mathari Valley, and there are 800,000 people there. It's one of the world's oldest slums. And so... What happened when you visited there for the very first time? So when I went there on this Saturday morning, I saw the poverty that these people lived in. I saw children walking around uh, half-naked, barefooted, walking over sewer, sewer running everywhere, uh, a lot of bad smells, and a lot of chanties and... And even the adults that lived there, you know, you, I could tell they were in a state of hopelessness and looking very helpless. And I wondered why would the government of Kenya allow people to live like this? Why aren't Christians doing something to help these people out of this place? And as I kept wondering and, and, and thinking about what could be done, I felt God urging me to do something about it. But I was only a second-year student at the university, 
and I went back the following Saturday and using the little bit of pocket money that I had as a student, I bought some snacks and I went and I started gathering a few kids outside one of the chanties. I started sharing with them uh, uh, Bible stories and memory verses and the smiles on these kids' faces, the giggles, everything just captured my heart. And that's how I've continued to serve there. So you're a college kid going out every Saturday serving in the slums. What a slacker. What, what, a, what a slacker. That is amazing. And, that, and Wallace, you connected with Wallace where? How did that happen? How did you two meet? Uh, we met in a prayer meeting. I happened to have been in a different university, just in the same city of Nairobi. And, uh, I Most used of to the go people here met in prayer meetings, too. We... Wow. <laughs> it's a Sorry. good place to meet. Sorry. And, uh, you know, um, so we, she was invited by my friends, okay. you know, for this prayer meeting, and we happened to have been the only two people who didn't know one another. So we were introduced to one another, and uh, at first sight, you know, I thought, that would make a good wife. And, okay. <laughs> and, and when you looked at him, what did you think? Oh, I didn't think anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but two years down the line, two years down the line, you know, um, we had already gotten engaged and we got married. And, uh, and, and before then, you know, we had realized that we were going to the same community, Matare, uh, Valley Slums, doing ministry together and working with the same pastor. But because we, because we came from different universities, we didn't know. But uh, God just connected us. And, and now you have how many kids? What are their names? What are they doing? Our children. Uh-huh. We have three children. I know who they are. They don't. So. A, a girl, uh, she's in a, a graduate school right now in London School of Economics in UK. Our son is in, attending Portland State University uh, doing architecture. And our youngest is 12 years old. He's in sixth grade back yeah. home. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And David, right? Yes, He's going to be a stand-up comic. He is hysterical. <laughs> He's the funniest kid. Okay, so... You're going through these slums. It's kind of hard for us to imagine what it would be like there if we're not actually there. What, before the Missions of Hope started and the ministry really took off, the, a five-year-old kid, five-year-old boy in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya, what is his life like? Where does he live? What does he eat? Where does he sleep? What is the, the life expectancy for him? Where is he getting educated? What, what's it like for him? Uh, what happens is that, you know, in Madare Valley, and uh, given the way it's so congested and then open siwa, uh, it's not a very good environment. And a child living in that place, uh, their house is uh, maybe eight by eight. Eight by eight. So, and at most, so we're talking, essentially, this area right here, yeah. where we are, yeah, and, family. and uh, how many people would live in that? It's a family of, on, uh, in average, six people. Six so five people. children, you know, with a single parent, because most of the families are actually single-parented. And the, single floor, the floor is what? The floor is dirt. Dirt, okay. Uh, and um, these are shanties, which are made of tin, and uh, with holes. It's not the best place that one could ever live. And um, as they walk barefooted... In places where there is open sewer, there's no running water, no electricity, it is a hard life, you know, to live in such a place. And um, 
I mean, for a five-year-old, most of the time, even when they go to a public school, there's a place that they don't get food. Most of the time, they run away from school and go to the streets and start begging. And that's when they get introduced to sniffing glue. Sniffing and glue. And there were, uh, when we were there and you took us around, there were men just, I thought they were dead, laying, laying down. And they were either sniffing or drinking. And then there were shanties that had hundreds of people packed around them as they were going and purchasing illegal drugs. The, the children, I remember when the, the first time we were there and, and we were going, oh gosh, we had already, I don't know how long we had walked. We'd walked a long time. But there were little kids that were following us. And as we're going around and going around, we're, I don't know how far it was, but it was a long time. And these same two-year-old and three-year-old and four-year-old kids we're following us. How could that, how is that possible? Like what, why, where are their parents? Well, um, in this community, um, every single mom, every day, they want to go out there and try to find work. They don't have good education, so they don't have ways of getting good jobs. And so they'll go and look for casual jobs. And so the kids are just left in the chanties. The kids go out in the streets and play with their friends. Sometimes they even go to the main street and look for ways to beg for food and things like that. And so as, as long as you know, it is daytime, the kids just wander around until when they are, their parents are back. And most of these children, as my husband was saying, they don't even have three meals a day. Actually, three meals a day for a five years old kid in Madare Valley is a luxury. And sometimes even two meals, sometimes even one meal, because it all depends on whether their mom was able to get a job that, could get, that she could get paid to be able to buy food. And so uh, it's, it's very uh, desperate for these children, desperate for these mothers, and most of the times they start engaging in a lot of antisocial behaviors because they want to be able to survive and take care of their children. So um, you had mentioned that a lot of the women, up to, you estimate, 80% of the women are involved in the sex trade. When we think of the sex trade, we think of uh, Las Vegas, we think of different seedy places where you would go. But in the Mathari Valley, prostitution is a very different thing. What causes prostitution? How is it carried out? And uh, how have you seen women's lives change through, the, through your ministry? So in Madara Valley, actually what will happen, uh, most of these women, when they try to find casual jobs and they can't find, they feel like they're left with no option but to sleep with men. So they invite men into their chanties, and that's why the kids are out in the streets. So they'll invite them into their chanties, sleep with them, get a little bit of money, and that's what they'll use to buy some food. And sometimes they're not even, be, they're not even able to cook in their own homes, what they call their homes, because they may not be able to afford enough money to buy cooking fuel and all that. And so most of these women, they are, they are in that kind of uh, a state, and so what happens when children get sponsored and they join our schools, we 
provide social workers who go and start working with these families, identifying areas of needs and identifying ways in which they can be able to empower these families and especially the women. Some of the women are enrolled in our skills training program. They get sewing skills, hairdressing and beauty and beadwork and such. And out of that, they are able to start small businesses. And we go ahead also and train them on how to run the small businesses. We also give them loans to be able to grow their businesses. And that way, they get economically empowered, and they don't have to engage in prostitution anymore. And when you now uh, evangelize to them, they can accept Jesus, and they can be part of a local church, and they can be able to be discipled, and eventually, they themselves can become disciple makers and disciple others, and, and it continues like that. And it is just because when their needs are met, when their physical needs are met, first by educating their kids, feeding their kids, but also empowering them economically and socially, then they are able to thrive as, 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 as good disciples of Jesus as well. What they're thinking is, can you move to Royersford and take my job? Um, that's, uh, that is so extraordinary to see it, to walk into the rooms that uh, women are there and the, the micro-enterprise loans that are given by people here in the United States will invest in that entrepreneur. It's absolutely extraordinary. My question is, when I'm going through all of these slums, where are the men? What are they, where, why, are, why aren't the men uh, involved? Where, where are they? Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, uh, they're living in poverty and some of them are not educated and it's hard even to get a decent job. Uh, so most of them actually feel, um, you know, disempowered. And a lot of them, you know, will go and um, be in a relationship, but uh, they don't commit themselves. They'll go get kids with the women and then uh, they run away, get to another relationship and um, families are broken in the family. And so the men, most of the time, they get involved in crime, uh, you know, going out to rob, being involved in drugs. And, um, you know, one of the things that we are actually trying to do is to intervene. And uh, we are intentionally starting uh, skills training programs that are friendly to men because we feel there is need to empower them and uh, to help them to get jobs. So we are doing carpentry, we are doing welding and plumbing. And uh, right now, we are in the process of actually starting on motor mechanics uh, and wiring so that we can just empower men. Wow, wow. When I was there, I was just always impressed by how the men that are in your ministry were just gentlemen. They were gentlemen. Like, the transformation that took place was mm-hmm. extraordinary. So you're, you're there, you're, you get married, and you're like, you started a school. Where did you start a school? What did you do? Who taught the kids? How many kids did you have? How did this thing start? So we had been married and with two children, and God gave me an opportunity to come to Bloomfield College in New Jersey for one year. You came to New Jersey? I'm so sorry. And after (laughs) that, one year, I went back to Kenya, and together with my husband, we started one school with 50 children. We rented a small building uh, which had only two rooms. Uh, uh, thankfully, my husband had uh, a good job. He worked as an accountant, and uh, he's a CPA. So through his salary, we were able to rent a, a small building. 
We started the school with 50 boys and girls. So you guys paid for this first school. Yes. Okay. All right. That is, so you and then you rented this building and who taught the kids? Well, I had to be the teacher, I had to be the head cook, I had to be the administrator, I had to be 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 be. And then we got a few volunteers from the church uh because we also started the church and together we continued teaching these kids and it was amazing how uh impressed people were in the community. and people just started bringing more kids and bringing more kids so from 50 within a 3 months we increased the number to 85 and the number kept increasing we had to move to a bigger building and by this time how big, uh, how big was the room you have 75 kids in a room how big is the room initially it was just a uh, like a uh, like 14 by 13 feet so essentially right here You got 75 kids. Yeah, we did you start them did you in start, there. Did you start drinking at this time? How did <laughs> how in the world? Well, to these children, this was amazing. To them, they had never seen anything like this. Somewhere they could be loved on, somewhere they could have a conducive environment. At least outside there was some play area we could play with them. and to them that was excellent and that's why more and more parents wanted to bring their children there uh two years down the line somebody who had a hotel in that neighborhood close to the hotel i believe it was through the prayers of the parents of <laughs> you this you shut the hotel down with the and the prayers. hotel was shut down and we approached this guy and rented that hotel so our school moved to a hotel and there was more space and that meant more kids in the school and by 2005 uh it was so overwhelming and i was feeling so overwhelmed uh Wallace left his job as a as a CFO of an insurance company by then and joined me and we continued doing the ministry and as of today we have 21 schools all over Kenya not only in the slums but also rural Kenya and we have over 18,000 children 18,000 in missions of those schools What what do you think God can do through this ministry? How many kids are you praying for? Surely you have a number. Surely you have to. In the last 18 years, I mean they have grown to be 18,000. It's possible in the future to do more than 500,000 both in Kenya and beyond in other African countries and and God even will. beyond. God will. We'll help you get there. That's amazing. Amen. Well Thank done. You. So, you So, let me Last time we were there, we were there in 2015. Uh I I took my whole family there and we went to near the border of South Sudan in an area called Turkana. And um we boarded the plane, landed on this little airstrip and it was so hot, so hot. Oh my gosh, it was so hot. And you took us there and you we were greeted by these kids singing. So essentially you were starting the school among the Turkana people and I remember going out way out in the boonies um and you were introducing me and you were talking to people and there was a man had multiple wives his 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 little hut area was 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 with with um uh branches it was it was in order to keep the animal and he came up to us and you were talking to him and that sort of thing And then at the end he was going 
And, and I said, what is he saying? I, is he, it's food, right? And I said, well, are we going to give him some food? And you're like, no, absolutely not, no. And I'm like, what? You are so heartless. And I was like, where's the local Wegmans? We're going to go to Wegmans. We're going to fill up the truck, and we're going to back it up and drop water and food. And you told him no. Why? Because in these communities, what they need is not handouts. They need to be empowered. Can you say that again? Because we need to hear that in this They don't need handouts. They need to be empowered. To be empowered to get their own food. To be empowered so that they can get it for themselves. That is actually empowering them and not taking away their dignity. And so in the communities where we serve, yes, we show them the importance of education because when the kids get educated, they can be able to find any dream jobs that they can dream of in their future and their future can be different. They can get to know Jesus and become disciples of Jesus. And for their families, when you empower them, they will not only get food for today, but also tomorrow and the day after and the day after. So that even when we are not there, they can be able to have food. Because if we give them food today, how about when we are not there? Yes. And I remember we, we got in the truck, and you were like, I love it. We're going to go. F-, and you were like, we're all the time up here trying to find young girls. What was going on up there in Turkana? Why were you trying to find young girls? So in this particular community, what they do, after a girl is age of nine, uh, there are some, the older men who have a lot of camels, goats, they pay dowry to the parents of these girls, and book them for, to be their future wives. And remember, some of these men, they already have wives. How old, how old are many these wives. men? Most of them are over 50 or even over 55. And the girls are just young girls who should be in school. And they don't let them go to school because they want to get the dowry, you know, in form of animals and camels, goats and camels. And so when we started working in this community... Uh, it was difficult, and we needed to, to educate them on the importance of educating their children, both boys and girls, so that they can be able to have a better future and not be married off to older men. And it was difficult, but as of today, we are celebrating the work that we have been able to do since 2013. Uh, this last year, we were able to have about 20 girls out of uh, a class of 39 children, uh, 20 girls graduated, and now they're in high school. And it is, it is a dream that has come to be. Oh, it was unheard of, but it is happening because God is with us. Well done. Well done. Air high five. Well done. <laughs> so um, the, the strategy that you used, you've, you've drilled it into my head over and over again. We just don't give them money, Brian. We don't give them money. It's community health evangelism. So when you go into a community, what is community health evangelism? What exactly is that strategy to reach and penetrate that entire community? Yeah, principally, community health evangelism is about empowering the community and actually helping them to see the locally available resources and to realize they can be able to solve their own problems. And uh, what we normally do is that we go into a community, do a vision seminar, and um, uh, we'll normally tell them that um, 
it's possible to get resources from this community, and we demonstrate it. And then we help them to identify their needs. And uh, what will happen is that as they list down their needs, we help them to prioritize. And uh, we will normally tell them, you know, to go outside the room, be able to collect either stones or sticks, or even yeah. just leaves from the trees. So you're saying, let me just pause right here. So you, what you do is you go into a community, and you get the leaders together, and you say up front, I'm not giving you anything. Just up front, I'm not giving you anything other than our hearts and our service and our hands. We're going to help you. You get the leaders and you help them identify what they believe are the top needs that they need to address. Not you guys. They need to address. And then you're telling them to go grab sticks or stones or whatever. And what are they doing with that? Uh, You know, we will list down all the needs and then we ask them, each person, to go and vote. With a stick or a stone? With a stick to identify the highest priority need. And so after they have voted, we'll be able to count, you know, the votes, whether uh-huh. it's the sticks or right. stones, and then we are able now to prioritize. And they're able to see that this is a need they need to address. And so as a group, they will go back and take initiative with their own resources. And once they take an initiative to start solving their problem, then we will walk alongside them and keep encouraging them you know, to keep uh, solving the problem. And we normally start, you know, with a project that is small enough that they are able to actually solve it. And that becomes a milestone. And that is what uh, we will keep encouraging them to go on to the next thing. And uh, that way you empower them. And it's amazing what they do. Uh, They are able to start solving problems and taking responsibility for... Right. And you are empowering them to solve their problems. You're not giving them handouts. You're just giving them love and vision and a picture of where they can go. That's extraordinary. And now there's not just one junior high school. There's a boys' junior high school and a girls' junior high school. Tell them really fast in Kenya. So you have, you have these kids. They're going through elementary schools. You saw the need to build these junior high schools at the end of eighth grade, or in eighth grade, they take national exams. Yes. And so my question is, where do your kids, or where do our kids, stack up against all of the other kids in Kenya that come from privilege, and they have families and food and that sort of thing? Where do Missions of Hope kids stand up in that exam? So to explain the exam, and how do we stack up against everybody else? So in eighth grade... All the students in Kenya sit for a national exam, which determines who goes to high school and what kind of a high school they go to. And it happens that while uh, countrywide, uh, it is usually 50 to 60 percent transition from eighth grade to high school. In the slums, generally, it is less than 5 percent. Wow. And that's where most of our children so are So they stop going to any kind of school at eighth grade. Exactly. And in our schools, Missions of Hope schools, uh, the fact that these children are also coming from the slums and they come to our schools, it is amazing because in any given year, the lowest we have had, the lowest transition from eighth grade to high school is 92%. What? 92%. 92%. 92%. 92%. Yes. That's extraordinary. And it continues getting wow. better and better. Wow. And it is a lot of children. So, like, in 2018, we had 984 students 
who sat for that national exam in all our schools, 21 schools. And over 900 of them were able to go to high schools. Okay, so I always brag about these people. I love being their pastor and serving with them. So I said, hey, listen, we're ready for a challenge. What do you got for us? So I said, hey, we're already, we've already been involved in, the, in Josca, the junior high school, and supporting kids, and we're going to talk about sponsorship here in a second. But we said, we need you to come here with a challenge for us, a community that we can get involved. Tell us about what, you, what do you have for us. So for us to be able to continue expanding missions of hope, and replicating missions of hope in different communities. We have been asking our uh, partnering churches like CCV to partner with us specifically in different communities. And we identified a community called Babadogo, one of the slums. Can you say that again? Babadogo. Baba, how do you say that with the end? So the end is silent? Yeah, it's not in the I, dogo? I, I, I make it silent. Okay. Other people right. still Good. sound right. it. But that helps me. me. <laughs> Helps me. So, Babadogo, and in Babadogo, we have over 700 students in our school there. We have a disability program that we have started in this community. Like Nikki, our missionary. Nikki, who is a here. missionary from this church and working and serving with us, is one of our, uh, our, our biggest fans of this disability uh-huh. program. It's, it's one thing to be born in a poor community in those living conditions, but it is worse when someone has disabilities. And that's why it is very important. And I thank God because this church was able to help us build a playground recently for our kids in Babadogo. And so we are really excited about that. So last year, our kids camp, we took up an offering and the kids at our church sent the money to build a, what kind of playground was it? A very good playground. A very good playground, all right. <laughs> you have to come and see it for yourself. I can't wait. And it's just amazing. In that, like, in that whole area, no school, not even the public schools, have such a playground. And, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And it is such a big blessing for That's these great. kids. That's great. So yeah. on behalf of CCV, yeah, we're in. Baba Nagoga. Baba. Baba Dogo. Baba Yeah, we're doing it. Okay, two things. Two things I wanted to make sure that we cover. First is um, we're going to be sending a team uh, July, I got it written down here, July 6th to the 15th to go work in Baba Dogo. And what will they do? And who do you need to go on that trip? I hope many of you can sign up and the skill sets that you have will be very useful and helpful to us. You might be a medical person. You come and we can do a medical clinic for this community. Uh, You might be someone who uh, enjoy working with children. You can come and we can do VBS. You can come and we can do home visits, pray with these families, visit them in their homes, tell them about the love of Jesus. You can come and maybe you are a business person and you can work with our business people. You can come, maybe you have some skills that you can use to train our men or our women in our skills training center, uh, which is very close to Babadogo, and you can come and help us uh, do that. You can come and train pastors or church leaders, uh, or maybe train our leaders or our, our head teachers and principals in our schools or our teachers. No matter what skill set you have, you'll be very helpful. Once you all sign up, 
we are going to be able to analyze the skills that you represent and we are going to be able to match with the, with the projects that you can be able to work on. But uh, you can come as many as even a hundred people. Okay. So don't right. feel like you are left out. All right. Okay. Yeah. Get ready. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. next thing is uh, before you go and you're going to, you, we had, you brought a hundred kids that are unsponsored. Okay. So I've got right here, um, little boy, uh, his name is Steven. Steven's a student at Bondeni School in Nairobi. He's cared for by his single mom. Our Virginia, uh, her mother had AIDS, passed away, being raised by your aunt, Brian, uh, by his single mother. Um, Steven's favorite subject is school and math. He'd love to be a teacher. Uh, and then I have Veronica here. Veronica is a student at Pangani. Uh, her father's a carpenter. Her mother is a casual worker. Uh, her favorite subject is languages. How many languages do you guys speak? I speak well, three. We, you speak three? Yeah, <laughs> Only three? Two. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> in her free time, she enjoys football, and she wants to be a nurse. And so these are just two kids of the kids that we have left. We have 100. We're praying that all get a sponsor. And let me tell you, we talk to our, our kids all the time. I go and visit them, see them, send in letters. I have a relationship with these kids. What happens at $38 a month? What, what do you provide a child that is sponsored for $38 a month? $38 does amazing things because a child gets education and is loved on by a Christian teacher. And then they get uh, two meals a day, breakfast and lunch. And uh, they get basic medical care because we have clinics where they can go if they have any uh, kind of a problem. And then... Uh, they are taught the word of God uh, because every day we have a morning devotion and on Saturday we have a special program where the teachers are available for them to take them through Christian lessons and other uh, social development programs. And um, this also gives us access to their families because a child is an entry point to their families. We can be able to engage them and be able to establish their needs and uh, they can be referred to our microfinance program where they can be trained on how to do business and be given loans or go to our skills training program and be empowered to have a trade. And um, we also do community health, education, and curative services. They have access to that. And uh, above all, we share the love of Christ, you know, to them. And uh, we've been able to plant churches in these communities. To date, we have 14 churches, and uh, we are also partnering with other churches as from last year. So there's so much that happens because of that $38. $38 a month, all of that. That's amazing. I remember the last thing, we were up in Turkana, and there would be kids who would come early to school, or one kid had spent the night, like they wanted to stay at the school. Yeah. It was like their family. <laughs> I was just so moved, so moved. I am so thankful for you guys, Amen. the example that you are to us here. And so what I want to do is I want to have you pray for us. And then if you, everybody can stay seated for just a minute to let them go out into the foyer, I, will, I want to challenge everybody uh, to go and prayerfully consider sponsoring one of the, one of the kids that are out there. Um, and, yeah, that's it. So why don't you pray for us? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful for the privilege and the honor to be called your children, O oh God. 
We are thankful because of uh, Christ Church of the Valley here in Philadelphia and all the work that they are doing to reach out to this community. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord God, you continue to guide them and to expand their boundaries, O oh God. And they will be able to reach many more people that are uncharged in this city, O oh God. We thank you, dear Lord, even because of other places that they are reaching out to through missions. Uh, thank you, Lord God, because of the partnership that we have, that uh, through them we are able to have children sponsored and families are being transformed and communities transformed our God. We pray our God and our Savior that in all their programs, that dear Jesus Christ, that uh, you will enable them, oh God, even to continue to empower the people. And dear Lord God Almighty Father, to bring them to the knowledge of Christ. We thank you, Lord God Almighty, because you're faithful. For in Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen. Amen. Let's thank them for coming all the way from Africa. Let's go from there. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.